You're listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author Sarah Box, where you get the inside scoop on the steps action takers and decision makers take to align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. We focus on the mantra, no labels, no limits, no excuses. Each week, you'll hear from remarkable guests who have overcome challenges and obstacles to succeed in the face of adversity. By listening to their stories, you'll get practical tips, tools, and resources you can implement today to bust through your own internalized prisons of worry and doubt. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. Hey there, No Labels, No Limits podcast listeners. This is your host, Sarah Box of the No Labels, No Limits show, a podcast all about breaking through limiting labels and beliefs so that you can live more fully, all out into who you are meant to be, and actually just enjoy the heck out of life and our ride right here. Today, I have the pleasure of co-hosting our interview, our discussion with our guest, with my friend, Ken Fay. Ken is, in my heart, a humanitarian. He is, in fact, an award-winning filmmaker, and he is a star chocolate chip cookie maker. Although I've only seen the evidence of it, I've never received one of his cookies. So, Ken, how are you doing today? Uh, great. And I know exactly what I have to do after this conversation is I have to bake you some cookies and send them down to you. You got my address, right? I'll, I do. I, I want to make sure you don't have the P.O. box. <laughs> exactly right. Because <laughs> I only go there like every 10 days. OK, <laughs> so um, anyway, I am looking forward, all jokes aside, to co-hosting um, this week with you because I know you've known our guests for many years. So you're going to know some extra questions we can ask. But for our audience, I want to say that we're going to be talking with Southpaw's founder and trainer, Joe Joseph Petro. So Southpaw is a company whose goal is to provide fast, measurable sales results using science-based selling and a combination of social psychology, neuroscience, and behavioral economics. And if anybody has been listening to this podcast for a long time, all of that stuff super interesting to me, although I, I don't claim extreme knowledge in behavioral economics. So Joe Tetro, though, has worked for some of the top sales organizations in the world. Think about this, Motorola, NBC Universal, Spectrum Reach, and he's been recognized as sales manager of the year by the Video Advertising Bureau. That's a big group, and he's a certified selling skills trainer, certified business coach, member of the Sandler Training President's Club, and he graduated from the Center for Creative Leadership Leadership Development Program. That is a mouthful, Joe. Kept me busy. Yeah, you've been, you're a busy guy. But this is what I like on a more personal note about Joe. He's an amateur boxer. He's currently reading Get Your Life Back by John Eldridge, and he's studying and working with Kevin Moore, a highly regarded globally recognized entrepreneur who has built six companies totaling over a hundred million dollars in revenue by the time he's 30. So Joe surrounds himself with inspirational people, including my pal Ken, and he's made some way in the world that we can all learn from. So with that, let's welcome our guest today, Joe. How are you doing, Joe? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for having me, Sarah. Hello, Ken. Hey there, Joe. Good to see you again. 
So as our listeners know, I like to start by asking a similar question of all of our guests. And is there something that you do daily that keeps you focused on your big goals, your dreams, and keeps you off of just following what everybody else wants from you? I start every day with uh, two items, and they're kind of meshed together sometimes, but a, um, a morning devotional and uh, kind of keeps me grounded spiritually, um, or I call Ken. Um, and uh, the other one is um, about eight minutes of um, meditation. And because I'm so type A, eight minutes is about all I could get in. But you're regular with it? I am very much so. Um, and if I don't do it, I miss it. Yeah. I, I know that I'm a little off, a little off kilter if I don't uh, have that grounding time. So, Ken, you have a regular thing you do in the morning? Yes, I do. I actually, um, I take a look at nature. You know, as a filmmaker, I frame the world in all sorts of ways. So I, I spend a little meditative time myself in the mornings. And uh, I will be inspired by the nature around me. And that kind of gets my brain in the right place, you know, to tell a story. It's nice to be grounded before we engage with the world. Oh, absolutely. So, Joe, can I just let's focus in on you a little bit and a little bit of your backstory. Will you share with us kind of your past? I mean, you've got a bunch of experience and awards and acknowledgments for everything you've done. But what led you to create your own company? And part B, once you do that, um, talk a little bit about that, the gift for reading and its impact, because I know that's threaded throughout the work that you do. It very much is. Um, I will tell you first how we got here. Um, you know, almost 30 years in, um, in sales management, sales leadership, um, the very best part of what I did was uh, helping people to grow, was helping them to change the quality of their life, was, was helping them to Im improve their, their personal situation and kind of helping them kind of uh, unearth their why. Uh, that, was, that's, that was the best part of what I did. Unfortunately, what I spent the bulk of my time doing was uh, um, pouring over spreadsheets. Uh, and it's it just not the way I wanted to spend the rest of my life. Uh, I, I understand the need for it, and we certainly do a, a fair amount of that here, but uh, I didn't want that to be my mission. And then I guess um, the reading part, which is, you know, I don't remember us, uh, us talking about, about the reading part, but, but I feel the ability to read um, the people that you're with, the people that you that you train, the people that you that you live with, you know, the people that you that are your significant others, um, being able to really get a good read on on who and what they are, what their why is, what what motivates them, um, you know, what affirmations are necessary for them, because we all, you know, have a desire for some sort of affirmation um, to really get that feel, uh, I think, makes a tremendous amount of difference and saves you a tremendous amount of time in getting from point A to point B. So um, I use it with people that we train. You know, we talk to them and really try to get to know them to the point that uh, we can, we feel that we've got a, an insight to them. Uh, and I, we do it with people that we sell to. 
you know, and as, as a sales trainer, um, and, you know, we sell our, our services, right? So um, being able to read what the real need of my client is, my prospect is, uh, really makes a world of difference because we all get phone calls or emails or messages that say, hey, I'm looking for this. If you, if you do a little reconnaissance, sometimes you find that's not really what they're looking for. So did you come by the ability to read people? Was that innate to you, Joe, or did you develop that skill? I believe that it's a God-given gift, but I also believe it can be harnessed and strengthened. Uh, and I think that can be, I think that's done through um, experience. I think it's done through time. Um, now, certainly I, I ended up in management very, very quickly. I, I had a, a very quick, bright, successful sales career. And all of a sudden they said, you're our boy, you're, you're going to run the place. And, um, and that's what I wanted. You know, I wanted to move ahead. I wanted to be in those positions, but, um, you know, I never really got, I never really got the time to, um, have loads and loads of clients. You know, I, 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 I'm actually a little envious of some of these folks that have spent 20 years selling, for the same company and they have hundreds and hundreds of clients that they know intimately. Uh, and I don't really have that uh, because I've managed people. You know, I've worked on the people that did that built those relationships. Do you think of the people you've managed as your clients though? Do you build relationships with them in that way? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I think one of the things I'm most proud of is there are people that I managed 25 years ago that call for advice today or call to wish me a happy birthday. You know, so those are, those are great things and vice versa. Um, I, I, you know, how often do we keep track of, you know, a supervisor, boss, whatever from, you know, 20 years ago. Um, and, and I'm lucky enough to have that experience. I can vouch for that too. I, you know, I worked alongside Joe many, many moons ago. Um, I didn't work for him necessarily, but I worked in a, a department that supported his department and he and I are here, here we are with you. Um, so yeah, it's definitely that kind of a thing. Relationship building is, is huge, huge and massive. Joe, would, I would ask you, do you see a difference in how relationship building is done now from where you started it? Has there been a change in the culture of business climate? I, I, I believe firmly that it is not given the priority today that it once was. Uh, if you think back to, you know, the Zig Ziglar days, and I kind of refer to that, there's been three different eras of sales. And if you look at that consultative era of sale, where Ziglar comes from, um, you know, it was about building a relationship. It was about building, um, you know, building a community. That, is starting to go by the wayside. People are not as interested in building a relationship. They want to send an email, send a text, hit send, and watch the business fall out of the funnel. Yeah. So I, I believe that your, the need for a relationship is still very much there. Um, you know, you want to earn somebody's business for a decade, not for a day. You, you, so you really need to know them 
you know, intimately in order to, to be able to take care of them and, and solve, solve their problems. I believe that many management processes today eliminate that piece. The relationship building. Yes, ma'am. And why is that? Is that for saving speed. time or? It's speed. Speed. It so really we is. lost something with the, for the need for speed has lost something for us. You, you could talk to anybody in any of the arts and, and to a certain extent, I believe that sales is an art um, doing it properly. I mean, there's a science to it, but there's also an art to it. Um, but if you look at, if you look at what it takes in order to build those long-term relationships, it's time and time is in great demand. Um, and most management today, most, most organizations that I deal with, I'm dealing with an organization right now that um, still, I mean, to me, it looks like I'm walking into uh, the boiler room, if you remember that term. Um, it really reminds me of a financial boiler room. Um, just turn them and burn them, keep going. Now, don't worry about the relationship, get the money and go. They don't ever worry about the second sale. To me, I always believe that if you can build that relationship, um, you're going to be a, a steady stream of revenue for me, if not personally, through referrals, which is another kind of dead piece of salesmanship. I mean, how often, uh, I think, I believe the statistic is 70, 70 some odd percent of people say that they would be more than willing to give a referral and uh, less than 20% of sales professionals ask for a referral. Is that the gap is the asking, Joe? Yes, ma'am. It is. It absolutely is. Uh, I, I had a, a young lady that, that worked with me years ago, and she was one of the better salespeople I ever had. And when I would say, did you ask? You know, whatever the question was, did you, did you ask? She would say, you know, I should have. What are they going to do? Eat me? You know, they can't eat me, can they? And I was like, no, they can't. You know, all you got, all you got to do is ask. Um, so I, and, and, and I still hear her voice in the back of my head. Well, they can't eat you. So, um, and I use that in, in training all the time and it always gets a chuckle, but we don't ask because we're afraid. And why would we be afraid? Why so, do you think folks are afraid? Uh, no, you go, Ken. No, sorry, sir. Yeah. So why do you think folks are afraid? In, in essence, would you say that we're all salespeople in essence, in some way, right? Whether we're selling an idea, a thought, in my world, I'm selling a script. Sure. So is everyone a salesperson in a way? And why can't we tap into that and what you're finding? What's the barrier? Uh, Ken, I've seen your work over the years. Um, and... I wouldn't refer you as much as I do if I didn't think the quality of that work was outstanding. Well, how many times have you brought the script to somebody and uh, had sweaty palms when you handed it to them? Absolutely. Yep. Every yeah. time. And, and you, but based on what I just said and based on the accolades you've received in your career, you probably don't need to have those sweaty palms, do you? <laughs> no, right. Very true. But it's, but it's human nature. We have a fear, you know, we have a fear of rejection. You know, so many people are. I always said that uh, fear of failure drove me. Mm. And it was, it was always a, a good thing for me. Um, 
it may have driven me to be successful in my, in what I was trying to do, but it kept me up an awful lot of nights, you know? So, you know, you learn that maybe it wasn't the right thing for my psyche in the long run. So um, I believe, you know, we all want to be people pleasers. Hmm. Joe, has that changed for you over the years? It, it, it absolutely has. It and what did has. you do to help? What did you do to help shift that perspective? Someone somewhere along the line asked me the question, um, how much energy have you used fighting off your demons? And I didn't, of course, didn't have the answer, but I did say, boy, I'm tired all the time. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and please do not believe that I have this all figured out because I don't. Um, we all slip back. Yeah. But um, I do know that we are, I am, I am less taxed if I just say, all right, Lord, we're going in and we're going to give it our best shot. That's my favorite thing to say. I did that before going. I mean, it sounds weird. Like I don't like going to like bridal showers and stuff. I don't, I don't know why they just always put me on edge. I think it's because they do those silly games. I don't want to disparage anybody's bridal shower. However, I remember calling my husband before going into one saying, okay, I'm going in now. I'll call you when I'm out. And he started laughing. I he said, is it that bad? I says, I'm only doing this because of the relationships I have with the people in that room. I'm going in, I'm coming out, but it is, it's that kind of, but what a waste of energy. You know, I could have just gone, I'm going to go hang out with some folks and then I'll be done. And no, I'm not playing stupid games, but um, it is, we do weird head games with ourselves. So, uh, which makes me want to ask you a slightly different question. I mentioned, and we'll come back to sales because I do, um, I want to ask you some of how things have changed. You talk about the three stages of it and you talk about the Zig Ziglar or not stages, but kind of how it's been evolving. Different eras. Yeah. Eras. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so how would you describe the era we're in now? It's interesting. You asked that the, we went from the, what I refer to as the white shoe era right? When that fella showed up on your front door with, with home goods. Uh, you sold I'm old enough to remember that. So and yeah, I, I remember my, I remember, you know, my grandmother, you know, buying plates and knives and, you know, sundries, if you will, from, from this fella. Um, and I, if, if we spent another couple of minutes, I'd come up with his name. Um, but he was, I remember we were excited when he came to the door. Uh, grandma was getting something new. Um, but we went from that period to the period where we asked people a whole lot of questions um, under the guise of trying to diagnose their problem. Um, but what we were really doing was we were rooting around for pain and we were using that pain against you. Uh, today, you're consumer is so much more intelligent they are so much more informed than they ever were before the statistic today is that by time a salesperson speaks to a prospect 
they are roughly 70% of the way towards their decision. So they just really are going to ask you whether it comes in red and blue, you know, and can you get it on Thursday? I mean, that's, that's kind of where they're at. They've already done all the research. So that's what I was going to ask. How did they get to the 70%? So it's independent research, Absolutely. talking with people. We, we, we all do it. Um, I, I am not, uh, I, I do an awful lot by my gut. Uh, I am not a, a very detailed, you know, researcher when it comes to personal purchases. Um, I do a little bit of looking. I ask myself what I feel about the situation. And then I ask acquaintances. You know, do you have one of these? How does it work for you? Would you buy it again? Yeah. So that's that's about as far as as I go. But I'm not the norm. The the norm is those folks that you know spend you know multiple hours on multiple sites doing you know pretty in depth research, especially if it's a significant purchase, um, and they spend a, a good amount of time doing that research. So that by the time I see them. And they know more about the process than I do. So how do you, from a sales perspective, and to Ken's earlier question, I do think we all, each of us, whether we're a member of a family or we're running a business, to some degree, we are selling our ideas or our viewpoints to get other people on board with us. So given that, right, what you just described as the more norm environment we're in today, um, how are people who quote unquote consider themselves salespeople, how are they adapting to that? And what is working best? Because I know I'm flooded with stuff and I'm thinking, are you kidding me? You didn't spend any time in knowing anything about me. We I'm take a quick step away for a second and um, address what you just said. And I think Ken actually knows this story. Um, I was solicited on social media by somebody that wanted to talk to me about how they could help my business. And at the appointed time, the phone rings and a very pleasant voice was on the other end. And the first words were, so tell me about your business. And my response was, you tell me about my business. And when that person said, I don't know, I said, then I think we're done here. Because if you didn't take the time to figure out who you're going to talk to and about what, then what are we doing here? You know, my, my time is valuable. Your time is valuable. Uh, and I, I tell that, to, and I will, um, I have a soft spot for a salesperson that calls me. So I'll talk to any salesperson. Uh, and Ken has seen it. Um, I've, I've been known to give advice on that phone call. Hey, what you should ask me now is, you know, or where we should go from here is, um, I've done that many times. I'll, or I usually ask first if they would mind if I gave them a pointer. Sometimes they hang up, but sometimes they say, sure. I said, well, I'm looking for these three things, right? So wouldn't this be the next question you'd ask me? Ooh, that's a good idea. Or... Yeah, well, it's not on my script. <laughs> you know, I've gotten that too. I've gotten that too. And I said, well, maybe you should suggest it's on the script. Yeah. So with that, Joe, 
Yes, sir. Uh, with that, uh, would you say that that's kind of how you can read people, right? That that person should have been reading you or get to know you a little bit more and engaging. And, and I know with you, when you're when you're interacting with others over the phone, in person, over the net, you're 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 not just reading their emotions, but you've already looked at their business, where they're at, what they could use as tools. I know you're developing, you know, you use the science of selling. And I know you're integrating it with the art of storytelling and you're, you're, you're figuring it out, right? You figure out the puzzle. So they just have to say red or green at that point. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, I think that, you know, knowing, knowing who you're dealing with, you know, you don't want your client to be a number, you know, you want to know, you know, who you're dealing with, why you're dealing with it, understand what their why is mm -hmm. understanding what their pain point is is not a bad thing as long as we don't turn around and use it as a weapon. Yeah. yeah. And, and I don't, I'll, I'll give you um, a kind of interesting example that happened to me not that long ago. Um, somebody was working me very well and said, um, well, Hey, if we were able to do this, what would it mean to you? It would mean this. And what would you do with that increased revenue? I would do this or this. And when we got further down the road and they said, you know, press hard, there's five copies. Uh, I said, you know, I'm not there yet. I said, but I do appreciate your time. I'm going to do a little reconnaissance and run up by the rest of my folks. And we're going to go, we're going to go from there. Um, I'm available next Tuesday. Does that work for you? I'm closing them for the next appointment. And um, he said to me, well, Joe, if you don't jump on this right away, you know, how's Sally going to get her braces, you know, or how are you going to play for pay for grad school or so, you know, whatever, whatever my hot button was. Um, and when he went there, I was insulted. Yeah. I was insulted. That's uh, that fear of missing out mentality. The FOMO. Yeah, and, and it can work, but I don't know how many cars I've bought in my life, but most of them I've bought. A couple of them I was sold. Mm. And I remember being sold like it happened yesterday. Describe the difference between that for our listeners, Joe, because I actually, coming from a family in the car sales business, know the difference, and I've walked out of showrooms because I know the difference. Um, so tell me, or tell all of us, the distinction between buying and being sold. The second new vehicle I ever bought, I had now owned a new vehicle. So now I knew what I wanted, right? I didn't know when I bought the first one at 19 or 20 years old. Um, I didn't know. Now I knew, you know, I drove this thing for three years. I, I, I knew, I, I knew exactly what I wanted in a vehicle. And I went in and I said, I need this, 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 and I need to pay this. Um, if we can do all those things, we're done. And she said, I can do, as a young lady, she said, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, I can't do this, I can't do that, and I can't charge you that. And I said, uh, no, I mean, I made a list, and that's kind of, you know, that's what I want. 
That's what I'm looking for. And I can go look for it elsewhere. I appreciate your time. And she said, you don't really want this. Because if you wanted it, those little things wouldn't hold you back. And as a 20 or 21 year old, I said, I'll show you who's not going to be held back. Where's the, <laughs> where do I sign? <laughs> and, you know, I, I drove my shiny red pickup truck home. And I was like, wow, she sold this to me. I didn't buy this. She sold it to me because I was ready to go off and, you know, work the process elsewhere until I got, you know, my list covered. She sold it to me. Did you have a different feeling after that? Like, a, so what I'm asking is like when you bought your car, the first one, and then one was sold to you, did you have a different emotional or satisfaction level from those two different I did. experiences? I what did. was that? Um, I don't remember how long exactly I kept that truck, but I do know that I was a little angry about it every day, mm -hmm. you know, and it was beautiful. And I would, you know, I'd go out into the driveway and I'd say, <laughs> a little bit of resentment there, you know, a little buyer's remorse, maybe. Um, I was like, this is not, this did this, this didn't go down the way I wanted it to. And I had a, I had a bad taste in my mouth and um, I went elsewhere when it was time to buy the new vehicle. Which goes back to your earlier point about relationships, right? Because mm -hmm. if you'd had a relationship, you wouldn't have been worked, mm -hmm. right? You would have been able to say, this is what I want. It would have been a true thing instead of like, well, if you really wanted this. I mean, those are very manipulative things. And I think that's why people, at least in my experience, when I talk to people and they, it makes them uncomfortable, right? Sure. When in truth, if I'm helping you or you're helping me as a salesperson get something that's really going to benefit me, you are in it for my best interests as well, as well as your business interests. But really, you don't want to sell me something I'm not going to benefit from or be resentful about because I'm not coming back to you. No, and it's 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 very much, and, and and it might sound corny, but it's very much like writing a prescription. It's very much like being a doctor. You know, we're going to look at what ails you, and we're going to find a way to make it go away. Um, that's my goal. My goal is to make it go away for you, and then everybody wins. Yeah, and then it's I'm, a lot more fun. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm available for the next solution and I'm available for the referral and, I, and I'm, a, you know, I'm available for, you know, for, for extended, you know, for exp extended uses within your organization. So let's summarize some of the points that you've learned over the years or even share today about like when, if I'm learning or wanting to develop my sales skills and abilities, what are some of the, um, mindsets or changes I need to make or embrace so that I can actually own the process start to end all the way through? Well, building your sales muscle is it, it's doable. Uh, salespeople are not born. There are people that have, are maybe are a little bit more um, predisposed to be able to go in that direction. But they're not born because they just like any other skill, they, they build it. You know, they build it based on, you know, practice, time, use, 
um, and education. You know, 80% of salespeople have never read a sales book. Really? 80%. Now, how do you do that for a living and never read a sales book? I don't understand that. And not all sales books are great. Um, but um, if you can get one thing out of each one, um, you know, that that's a benefit. But let me go back. Um, you, I would say, have a genuine desire to help. I think that's that's very big. Um, realize that it takes more than a smile and a shoe shine. Um, you know, that was the, you know, that was the expression we were taught years ago. You know, it's all about a smile and a shoe shine. And, and it's not, you know, it just isn't. Um, so it, it's, it's not about that. It, there's no magic words. There are no magical phrases. There are not five steps to anything or seven steps or 13 steps. Or they, I, I always tell people when we begin a big training class, I always say, if I tell you there are seven steps or nine steps to anything, I want you to throw something at me from, you know, from over there. And uh, they chuckle, but because there's, it's going to be different for all of us. Yeah. You know, um, you train for a marathon differently than I train for a marathon. We might've read the same book about how to do it, but we train differently um, because our bodies are different. Yeah. Our motivation is different. Our lung capacity is different. There's something different about each of us. So there's no magical answer to anything. I do believe in the old adage that, you know, you have two ears and one mouth, um, you know, listen twice as much as you speak. Um, you should be listening about 70% of your conversation should be you listening. Um, I think if you listen, you're organized, you have a genuine desire to help, and you're not afraid to build a long-term relationship, it's a wonderful career. So that's how it sounds like that's all mindset then. And do you, so when you train people and you train a lot of groups and teams and you've gone in the teams that were kind of failing and you've gone in there and helped straighten them back up again, what are you finding is the common denominator in that shift for those folks? How, how, do, you, how do you get into their psyche and say, okay, here's the mindset piece? There's um, there is a genuine fear of uh, human contact, um, and we have to use that uh, "they won't eat you" concept yeah. uh, in order to to get you past that. But there's an awful lot of folks that um, you know they'd rather just text you, they'd rather just send you an email. They're afraid to pick up the telephone. Um, you know, cold calling is not dead. Um, I use multiple tiers. I I will, I will email you, I will call you, I will text you, I will send you a piece of snail mail. Um, by time you actually speak to me, I've already touched you seven or eight times. So you have some idea of who this crazy Joe guy is. Um, you, you know, you, you might not know, you not, might not recall or be able to regurgitate any of my story, but you've heard the name, you've seen the face, and that's a, that's a big piece of it, Ken, the um, trying to wipe away that fear of contact. And some of that may be uh, generational. I, I, I was going to ask that if you see that in folks who just prefer the more distance type of communication. I don't 100% subscribe to that. Um, I very often hear people say, um, well, this group, right? They, they right. named it. You know, this group 
they're afraid to talk to people. They just want to, you know, hang, be in their mom's basement and use their laptops, you know, and, and, and generalizations, as we know, are not usually a hundred percent accurate. I mean, they come from someplace, but they're not always a hundred percent accurate. So, um, but I do see that the skill of selling is less encouraged building the skill building that muscle is less encouraged than just churning numbers it, it really comes down to we you know i i got involved in using a crm way back in the old days back when acton goldmine were the crms uh, that were around remember those i um, yes <laughs> uh, and and i loved them because it was better than having a little card file right um but that is not what runs your business. That CRM doesn't run the, the business. I, I know a very, a very accomplished sales professional that worked for an organization that um, said to him, hey, you didn't make enough calls today. And he said, I made three great calls. And they said, yeah, but you were supposed to make X amount of calls today. Um, and he says, do you want me to make X amount of calls? Or do you want me to make three great ones? Because the closing percentage on those great calls is going to be so much higher. The conversion rate is going to be so much higher. Which takes me back to what you said earlier in the conversation about the speed of business and the metrics of it. Um, because I think we can miss the impact. Like if all we're looking at is quote unquote, the metrics, and I agree with you, metrics are important. They don't tell the whole story or the value of the activity, you know, because I can churn out 100 calls, but are you going to get anything from them? Or am I just checking a list, right? Steakums and filet mignon are both beef. <laughs> you, can, could you make a choice? Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know. Do they still make steakums? I don't know. Um, but they're both beef, supposedly. I th yeah, that's the question we'd need to do a little research on. But yes, you could make a choice. So, um, so I want to go a little pers more personal with you, if you mm -hmm. will, as we start wrapping this up. Talk to us about being an amateur boxer, why you do that, and what it has taught you about life and living. Just some key takeaways from that. I I'm really interested in that. Been interesting in boxing my whole life. My grandfathers were both very interested in boxing. Um, but they would tell me stories about, you know, the old fighters from the old days. And we would uh, very often all be piled on the couch watching the fights when the fights were on free television, you know, when they were on regular network television. Um, and so I was just always very interested in it. And I dabbled. You know, I dabbled as a young person um, and then I went to college and I ended up playing baseball in college. So it went away. And then, you know, a handful of years ago, I. I decided that I might want to compete, you know, really compete again, because I always did the work, you know, the physical work. So you uh, stayed just, up with it, the training, just just, just for the exercise. Yeah, um, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of working out that bores me. But I don't know, for some reason, I don't mind hitting a bag, you know. Um, so, you know, I, I just said, you know, I'm going to I'm going to try this. And I 
you know, and I found a gym and I went into it and I, and it, I found that it's really a microcosm of the whole rest of your life. It, it really is. You don't play boxing. You, you know, you, you play other sports, you don't play boxing. Uh, it, it's, it's do or die in there. And it's not all about being a tough guy. It really isn't. It very much is the, the sweet science. It can, it very much can be. Um, but if you look at, if, if you look at uh, really successful trainers and fighters over the years, and I always quote Customato, um, who trained Mike Tyson, um, you know, he said uh, millions of things that, that I have jotted all over the place. But one of the ones that I always remembered was that the, um, the hero and the coward both experience the exact same fear. It's just what they do with that fear that makes all the difference. And, what, and how is it, how do they handle it differently? Well, fight or flight, right? So, you know, um, I'm, I mean, you know, I'm going to walk through this or um, let me find a way to get away from it. Um, you, you've probably heard somewhere along the line, whether you're a fight fan or not, don't back up. You know, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to be backed up. Don't give any corner. That's right. Yeah. So um, once you start backing up, uh, your chances of, you know, coming out of that thing in good shape are kind of tough. Um, but there, there's, there's a lot of, um, there, uh, Teddy Atlas, who was also a, a trainer of Mike Tyson's when he was very young, and he's, he's trained a couple, of, uh, a couple of champions. Teddy Atlas says that there is a moment in every fight where you make a choice and you decide whether you want to continue or you don't want to continue. And what you find out is that if you decide you can't continue, you don't want to continue, you don't want to keep moving forward um, because it hurts too much or because I'm too scared, you do find that you probably could have endured the pain you probably could have lasted the next you know few minutes um but what you do is you've sold yourself on the fact that hey i'm not going to make it another three minutes yeah and then you start then you back off then you find a nice place to lay down um and that's you know and then you have to live with that yeah, I was just going to say that thing colors your next choice when you hit a barrier, right? Are you going to keep moving into it? Or are you going to go, well, I can't do that. It's too hard or whatever. Ken, have, do you relate to that? Oh, absolutely do. No, there's a lot of that in there. Um, you know, uh, in my world, you know, when I'm coming up with concept for content creation, I have to continually move forward. I can't back up into either an old mindset, an old idea. I need to constantly be moving forward to the next, the new, a different way of telling a story that might be a story everybody knows, but just tell it a little bit differently. So I have to dig in and find that ground, you know, and then create. And I'm finding that I'm learning lately too, a lot from Joe. And one of those things is that there really is a science and an art to selling and being a storyteller, career storyteller, I always thought it was all about the art of storytelling. I never mixed the science of sales in there, but th I think that's an interesting connect. And I can see from Joe's point of view with the boxing analogy, 
that is life, but it can be sales. I mean, if you look at sales as a big giant ring, right, Joe, and you're in there with your client, you're not fighting them. You're fighting with them to get something that they may need. And they're not sure where to step in the ring, right? Absolutely. I, 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 I personally find it a little distasteful and I, I don't know what other word to use, but I find it a little distasteful that people look at business or look at sales as war, as a battle. Um, it, 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 to me, it's really all about helping. It's all about trying to help somebody better themselves. Hmm. You know, if you better yourself, um, we all win. Uh, I have an acquaintance that just finished a book on leadership. And if I had it, I would hold it up so that he could get a plug, but I don't have it in front of me. Um, uh, but uh, Eddie Mack, if you get a chance to look uh, for Eddie Mack's leadership book, Eddie says um, that it, it's not, you know, it has, it has, it's all about just trying to help the guy next to you. That, that's all it's about. It, it's, it's really not about me winning, you losing. See, we can both win. It doesn't have to be win-lose. No, oh, I totally agree. But I don't think that's where we start. I think we're taught that it is a zero-sum game. Mm-hmm. You know, one wins, one loses, or you gain and I lose a bit, whether it's the whole thing or, and I don't think that's true. I I a hundred percent agree. And just go back to the boxing thing for a minute. Um, whether you're a fan or you're not a fan, we've all seen that hug at the end of the fight. We're two guys that were just beating the tar out of each other are now hugging each other. Can't tell me they didn't both win. Well, and there's a respect level, I would think, right? Absolutely. So- and and winning isn't you know, the guy that gets his hand raised necessarily. Sometimes winning is just making it through the day. Go on the distance. And, and, that's, and that's what it's about. Yeah. You know, I, I remember when I was young, I, I went in, um, I had an opportunity to spar with somebody that fought for the heavyweight championship of the world. And he was a big man, you know, and I was a, you know, 20 something year old kid and, and probably, 40 or 50 pounds lighter than him. And he let me hit him. And when I, when he let me hit him at one point, he let me hit him. And he said, uh, he goes, Hey, that was great. And I said, well, why aren't you laying down then? You, you know, I, <laughs> um, how come you're still standing? You know, I mean, generally if I do this to somebody, they lay down. Um, and, but we, you know, I got, he let me win. You know, we both won. He is a hero in my mind today because he let a kid come in and have his minute of glory against a guy that fought for the heavyweight championship of the world. Fought Muhammad Ali. Whoa. I mean, so I fought a guy that fought Muhammad Ali. Now, I only fought him for three minutes, and he decided not to hit me very hard. So (laughs) it wasn't the same thing, but we both won, didn't we? Absolutely. He got to display his humanity. And I got to have my, my, my brush with greatness. As you're talking, you know, I'm really reflecting that even in the stories you tell, it is a sales, right? You're, you're really letting us see who Joe is and how you approach the world and how people 
you know, it's people either resonate or don't, they either feel comfortable or they don't. And I believe that it's really a lot of how people show up, not necessarily how slick they are, how perfect everything is, but how sincere are they? Um, How knowledgeable are they about my personal needs or what's trying to happen? Um, And then what's their commitment to that level of success happening, right? Or is it just like, until I make the sale, but someone who's like that guy, like, I want this kid to experience success at this moment to feel good, because you took that out. And you're still talking about it today. These years later, right? It made a huge impact on you. I don't want to tell you how many years it's been, but it's been a lot. You you don't want to mark how old you are? Come on now. Um, No, but I had a boss that did that for me many times. And I still bring his management philosophy forward because it changed my life and what I thought was possible. Um, So that's a unique thing. Being firm with your team is okay. Yeah. Um, I had probably the really the best boss I ever had um, said to me, it's okay to use a hammer, but I suggest you wrap it in velvet first. And make and sure it's the tool that. for the job. Yeah. So as we're wrapping this up, Joe, I have two questions. One yes, is um, just something tangible that anybody listening here, who whether they're, you know, they might say, well, I'm not a sales, quote unquote, salesperson. If you are writing a grant for a nonprofit, you're a salesperson. If you are, you know, trying to get a teenager to understand something that needs to happen for the benefit of the family, you are a salesperson. So regardless of where we are in our life, can you share like one or two steps that you think anyone could take or everyone should take? Um, I know you're not a step person, but if there are a couple of things you think that we could take that would improve the results we get from our sales work? Sure, we're gonna use the word check and we're gonna use it in two different ways, okay? Check your motivation. Why am I doing this? Why am I telling my daughter that she needs to be in at 10? Why am I telling her that she needs to go to college? Um, why am I telling you know, uh, her to eat better food? Okay, what is your motivation behind it? The other one is check your ego. Check your ego at the door. Because it is not about a win-lose. It's about a win-win. And, you know, I, you know, I came up in the 80s when win-win was the, was the terminology that everybody used. And I'm, I don't think I want to let go of that. Because yeah. it really needs to be a win-win. So if you check your ego, everybody wins. Ken, do you have anything to add to that? Well, I would say, Joe, then that, that makes me feel like now that sales is empowering um, the person you're with. It's empowering your client as much as it is for anything else. Then, So with a win-win mentality, then if you can infuse that into your sales team or into you as a salesperson, then you're just lifting up the person you're talking to. You're empowering them to make a decision. I would, I would um, suggest that your balance of power in a sales situation is more equal today than it's ever been. Hmm. I think there was a time when due to lack of knowledge, 
the salesperson may have had the upper hand. And now that balances, that has balanced out somewhat um, because they know as much, if not more about the product and the process than, than I do. Um, I know whether I could help them and I have case studies on those that I have helped. And that may make it, that may be beneficial for them. So I think, I think that if you want to say that we do the empowering, I don't know. I think that maybe um, evolution has, has allowed folks to be a little bit more on equal footing. I love it. I like the check your ego, check your motivation. I think that goes a long way in life, right? I agree. And, you know, it's easy to say, check your ego, check your motivation. If you're doing some inner work, it's not quick. You have to get real honest with yourself sometimes Mm -hmm. and going, yeah, this isn't about helping them. That's about making something easier for me. So then you have to rewind and rethink. So, Joe, you know, what is the best way for folks to connect with you? Because I just know that for some of our listeners today, you're the voice they needed to hear. So where do they get? To where should they go to know more about you, your work, how you might be able to help them either as individuals or as companies? Well, they can email us at um, info at uh, southpawselling.com or they can visit us on the web at uh, www.southpawselling.com. Okay. And, so we'll uh, put those um, show notes in so people I appreciate don't have that. to remember it. Oh, absolutely. Ken, any parting words of wisdom from you and your knowledge of Joe, things that you want us to take away with us? I've always been an advocate of storytelling, as you know, and I've I've been telling Joe for a while now to write a book. He's got so many stories and so many situations. Um, You got to write that stuff down. So um, I would again say, Joe, you got to write this down, man. You have a title for his book, Ken, because I know you come up with that stuff in your sleep. You know, I'm thinking selling and telling. Only because, you know, <laughs> the science of selling and the art of storytelling, you know, and, and the mix of that that makes. But, you know, all about relationship and, and uh, how to make it a better place, you know, as Joe saying, you know, I, I'm with it. So, Joe, yeah, we got You got to write that down. All right, Ken, how about you write that with me? All right. All right. I'll do okay. the telling. You do the telling. How does that sound? <laughs> Sounds good. So like it's always been that way. <laughs> I, actually, I think that would be a powerful book. Absolutely. Well, sales and marketing, right? It is sales and marketing, but from a more heart-centered place, right? So I endorse both of the ideas. (laughs) Let me know when it's done. Let's do a different conversation around that. Gentlemen, I want to say thank you both very much for both coming on together, for sharing this time with me and our audience. Ken, as always, it's great to spend time with you. And Joe, it's great to get to know you more. Sarah, thank you so much for having me. And it's always wonderful to speak with Ken. (laughs) Great to see you both. Thanks. You've been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent, and strategic vision coach, Sarah Box. You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com forward slash no labels, no limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please remember to rate, leave a five-star review and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Until next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.